Hello and welcome to the Big Ben History Podcast, with this series focusing on conversations with all those in the room when Margaret Thatcher resigned from the Cabinet. Today, two men who were in a way bystanders, as what some have called a coup, took place. Tom King was Thatcher's Defence Secretary. At the time of her exit, he was up to his eyes running the biggest deployment of British troops since World War II. An army of allies were readying to eject Saddam Hussein from Kuwait. He returned from the Gulf to find his boss on her way out. And when she did quit, he had the awkward task moments later of guiding the cabinet through the latest military preparations. And later on, I speak to Lord James Mackay, now in his 90s. Back then, a lawyer who, as Thatcher's Lord Chancellor, helped a tearful Margaret through her resignation statement. The interviews took place in Parliament. The ringing you can occasionally hear is a division bell calling MPs and peers to vote. First, Tom King. Did he remember the meeting? when Thatcher called it a day. I do indeed. I remember it extremely well. Uh, nobody there will ever forget it. It was a very distressing meeting, of course, because uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, uh, sadly, uh, of course, a moment broke down. She got a prepared statement to say that she was uh, not going to continue and wasn't going to uh, uh, stand again in the further contest with the, with the second round, which she could have done and had decided to call it a day. And uh, it was a very emotional chance. A lot of us, you know, we'd worked with her for a very long time. I'd been in the cabinet with her for 10 years, and, or, and uh, she was a very good, strong leader, very popular. And um, uh, this was uh, uh, quite an emotional moment. He had a prepared statement. I think he thought it would be wiser to have something written down that she could say. And she wasn't able to complete the, the, the statement. And, uh, James uh, Mackay, Lord Mackay, took it on and uh, read out the uh, remainder of it. Uh, it was particularly challenging because uh, it was a very, as far as I was Secretary of State for Defence, um, I was uh, at that time um, very much concerned. We had 45,000 uh, uh, troops of one sort of Army, Navy, Air Force wrapped up in. Um, uh, or potentially going to be involved uh, in this very important campaign to uh, uh, free Kuwait from uh, the uh, Saddam Hussein, who had invaded Kuwait uh, and uh, seized the territory. Uh, and we and the Americans and uh, uh, also uh, Saudi Arabians and others uh, were locked in a strong alliance uh, to get Saddam out. And I had the next item on the cabinet agenda, uh, which was to propose that we increased, we had then a brigade there, and to increase from a brigade to a division, uh, which has then been built up, as I say, to some uh, 45,000 troops. It was the largest deployment that we'd had since the Korean War, and it was a major challenge. I'd just come back from the Gulf. I'd been in Saudi Arabia. I'd seen our forces there, and it was a very important announcement to make. Um, Prime Minister uh, Margaret Thatcher had strongly supported the change, uh, and that's what I wanted to get the agreement of the cabinet to. And uh, just before we reached uh, <laughs> this uh, item on the agenda, that uh, is what happened. And did you think for a moment, maybe this meeting's not going to happen, we're going to stop now? Well, it, it, nobody knew what was going to happen, but she, uh, you know, it rallied and we went on with the business. And the people understood the importance of it, because it wasn't something about saying, well, let's come back to that in two or three weeks' time. Uh, the, the, the logistics of setting up that deployment, that scale of deployment, military deployment, it wasn't something where we could sort of 
come round to it some other time. And I needed to get a decision. Uh, we did get that decision, and that went ahead. And as we know, that was the war we won, which we did with the minimum of casualties and with uh, the greatest speed. And we did the job and got out. Always struck me as a perfect example of not the brutality of politics, but by that the, there's always a job to be done. Yes, I mean, it was all sorts of reflections. I, um, uh, I very much hoped that she wouldn't actually uh, stop. I, I thought that the, the manner of her leaving did cause lasting pain throughout the Conservative Party. And I was, had suggested to her personally myself beforehand that uh, she actually should say that she was going to stand again, but that she would stand only uh, that she, you know, she'd been Prime Minister for 10 years plus and that uh, she was going to stand down uh, you know, in three months' time, something like that. So that it wouldn't have that awful feeling of being thrown out um, by a resentful party or members or whatever. And, and uh, that would have been a much happier outcome. She, we'd have, she'd been there, she'd had a very good innings. It probably was time to make a change, but not to make it in that way. Why didn't you... I think you suggested that to her when she called you in one by one, didn't you? Absolutely. That's exactly what I, I, I suggested. That um, If she said that, then I think certainly... Um, I think Michael Hazeltine wouldn't have stood. Uh, you know, with the subsequent election, John Major, um, Douglas Hurd, who was another candidate, people would have stood to one side, and then a leadership uh, contest to succeed her would have taken place in an orderly way um, at a later phase, with her departing, uh, not in this, uh, uh, as though she was being evicted by angry residents, but uh, uh, able to uh, uh, leave with some dignity. Why, why do you think she didn't take your advice? I think she'd gone to, it had gone too far, really. I think she'd probably made up her mind already, and I think probably Dennis uh, also, I think, have felt it was time. I think she said time to call today. Uh, and uh, of course, she had uh, had been a, 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 an extraordinary performance. I mean, the other thing that uh, I, I would say, um, the, the thing I was always slightly worried about her uh, was she did work extraordinarily hard, uh, and um, she did work you know, many hours uh, outside, you know, working on her box uh, overnight and all that. And occasionally at cabin meetings, you'd see a terrible sort of great yawn. Uh, and it was that she was. It did uh, was a very testing job for her, and she committed so much to it. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, I think perhaps Dennis as well felt. You know, he saw how hard she worked. I mean, I, I remember telling one story about going to a reception uh, in Number Ten at some stage, uh, and I walked out of the reception at the end of it and said about the Prime Minister behind a, a, a producer from the BBC World Service. And she said, um, oh, yes, she said, uh, the World Service, I like the World Service. He said, I, I listened to the BBC News at 12 o'clock. Uh, at 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock, I switched to the World Service, and 3 o'clock perhaps as well. Um, and uh, I've always uh, enjoyed listening to the World Service. An indication, the news, in other words, on, on the World Service at that time, um, just an indication of how many midnight and uh, hours that she was burning. Um, uh, in her commitment uh, as Prime Minister. Um, and this, uh, this, the sad eviction, you call it, um, looking back at it, could you see it coming? Yes, I think. I mean, there, there was... I, I think the trouble is a lot of these problems you get in, in Minister or Prime Minister, they come round in a sort of cycle. 
And, and what tends to happen is then, if you've been there some time, first time you see them, you've, you've spent quite some time working on them. Second time you see it coming round, you tend to say, look, we know exactly how to deal with this. And you don't want to hang around and go through all the performance again. And uh, then it gets a bit more abrupt. People working with you who may be people who haven't seen it all before uh, then uh, think that you know it's all being done in too uh, abrupt a way, and uh, um, that that sort of feeling of you know we're going to get on with this, but that'll we'll do this, we'll do that. You know, I've seen all this before, um, and this is the way we'll deal with it, and uh, that caused a bit of resentment in people faces who thought that their arguments maybe weren't being properly considered if they had a, a different point of view. And so that's that's the way in which I think uh, um, people, if you are around too long, um, it's uh, it get, it, uh, more difficult for people to work together. Uh, you, you were there for, I think, did you say 83 you joined the cabinet? You were there, was yes, it before there, se, se, seven years. So you, you, you had a, a ringside seat watching the whole thing. Um, the relationship with Geoffrey Howe and that, that disintegration yes. uh, was obviously key in it. And a lot of people have mentioned the previous cabinet meeting shortly before, which she, she leapt on him about a parliamentary timetable. And they all remember that meeting as well. Do, do you remember that? I do. Uh, it was unfortunate. She had got... Um, uh, she got pretty impatient and, and and pretty abrupt, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, a very happy exchange. No, yeah, it was the the relationship had, had rather broken down. I'm afraid at that time, and it was which was a pity. She thought he was, I think, you know, uh, too slow and not uh, uh, giving it the sort of drive that she was looking for. He was an outstanding uh, minister, but uh, anyway, the, the relationship had gone. Certainly, Thatcherites accuse ministers of there being a plot against her and that you all got together and planned it once you'd had the result from Heseltine. Uh, other people reject it. What's your memory? I don't know. I don't, um, I don't know anything about that. I certainly, certainly nothing to me. I mean, I, I was deep in trying to organise. You know, I was involved in fighting a war at that time. <laughs> the last thing I, I wanted was a change of prime minister. I'd just come back from the Gulf. Um, and I'd been talking to the troops out there and saying, you know, we're going to see this through. Uh, but I just want to say this. Uh, the people in the country, we had very good support in the UK for what we were doing. It was obviously, you know, I think wide recognition that this was a, um, an outrageous uh, 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 breach of international law, the way in which he had uh, simply dived in and captured Kuwait as he did and the brutality of it. Uh, and great international uh, and national support for it. And I said, you know, the country's right behind you. And I said, the prime minister's right behind you. And as you know, the prime minister, I remember her with the Falklands, you know, when QE2 and Canberra and, you know, all the additional resources, you know, we didn't hold back from making sure that the Falklands was saved, um, recovered. Um, and I said, the prime minister's right behind you. Of course, I then come back and find that we may not have a prime minister. I had to go out a month later and say, I told you the Prime Minister's right behind you. The Prime Minister is right behind you. It's a different Prime Minister. <laughs> I mean, John Wakem mentioned that as far as a journalist. Um, when you were a minister, you were very, very busy. Were you sort of slightly out of the, the, the gossip and the, were you aware of what was going on? No, I mean, I was, I'd been out in the Gulf. I came back from the Gulf. I mean, I missed, you know, I, 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 I had a job to do and I had to see that uh, you know, go around um, the rulers. Um, uh, whether King Fahd in Saudi Arabia um, or whether um, Sheikh Zayed um, uh, in uh, the president of the UAE 
Um, I was uh, making sure that we had the support south of Oman. I was very extremely busy making sure that our relationships were good because we had troops in all those countries. We depended on them for, you know, living conditions and resources and uh, food, water, all that stuff. Making sure that they were properly and that they were secure and they were safe. And it was a, it was a, the Ministry of Defence really came alive during that period, uh, and uh, I had a heavy heavy commitment. And the last thing, and I certainly wasn't in, in touch with sort of uh, what was going on with the gossip. And here yeah, I had jobs to do. It must be the ultimate challenge, I guess, for a politician. You, you, you've both got to do your job, yeah. but you've also got to keep an eye on the troops at home. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. I mean, what I was proud of uh, during this period, but whatever happened, uh, even sadly, over Margaret Thatcher, is that we had a number of debates about uh, our involvement in the Gulf and whether we should be there and all that. And I saw a big part of my responsibility was to make sure that we delivered good parliamentary support and good support in the country for our people. Even though they were out there, they were at some risk, and, uh, you know, there was obviously the risk of things. Um, you know, Saddam Hussein was talking about the mother and father of all battles and all that stuff was going on, and we just wondered, and he threatened whether he had chemical weapons and all sorts of risks that we might be involved in. I saw my job to ensure that we built more and more public support, support in Parliament and support more widely in the public and in the media as well. And, and I'd like to think we achieved that pretty well. Yes. And, and looking back at her fall, the, the way you're talking about it, it seems to be just sort of personalities being there too long. Or, or was there an ideological row as well behind it, do you think? Bit of that. Bit of that. Um, always was. Some of the um, older generation who were around who for whom she was rather sort of strong meat with her own particular philosophy um, and more sort of on the right than some, you know, the others and the uh, sort of what you might call sort of one-nation side of Tory party. But uh, um, it's... Uh, no, it's, it's, it's... In general, she... I mean, people respected the, the support and her popularity. But it was... It was she was definitely... Had had a very good innings, and it, it was going to draw to a close. My great criticism was uh, the, the way in which it drew, and I tried to prevent that. When I found it was happening, when I came back and found that this was the way it was going, and I mean, it was carelessness. Um, in the, I mean, nobody thought she could possibly lose. Um, we know the stories about uh, uh, the lack of campaigning for her. Um, and is that something you were aware of at the time, or just no, looking back that Peter Morrison no, was running no, in a NEP campaign? Absolutely no. Well, I mean, you know, that's right. Well, Alan Clark was working with me, you know, he was one of my ministers. And, I mean, he had the, you know, the story of going into Peter Morrison's office and finding him on the polling day, with his feet up on the desk, having a good snooze after a good lunch. <laughs> and uh, there's another wonderful story that where Alan Clark suggests that you become a caretaker prime minister. Yeah, well, when, when did you find out about his sudden support for your campaign for Downing Street? Well, um, I think, I mean, the truth was, at that moment, depending on, on the timing, um, probably four or five of us, any one of us, could have come through as her successor. I mean, that's the reality of it, and it's what always happens. And don't, I may say we're sitting here now um, when somebody might say there are a lot more than four or five who think they're potential successors to a prime minister. Somebody once said, never underestimate how many MPs think they should be no, prime minister. But it's, it's, it, I mean, I could have been. I could have been. And I think, I, I uh, just say this, that I think Alan 
thought it wouldn't do any harm to his own position uh, if he <laughs> promoted me. And did a number of people said, but I, I was running in and out, and I said, I did say it to a um, colleague um, who'd come to me and said, would I prepare to stand? And I said, if, if, if 30 plus put their hands up, um, I'll, I'll um, have a go. Um, but it wasn't worth doing it otherwise, at which moment I then left for the Gulf again. What might have been. And you mentioned the poison it caused. Uh, here we are in Westminster, uh, um, Parliament completely paralysed over the issue of Europe. Do you see, see a link between what happened then 29 years ago and what's happening now? Does, it, does, it, does history rhyme at all for you? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this is unlike anything that's ever happened before. Absolutely. No, this is a, a completely different animal. And just one final question, um, working for Margaret Thatcher, what was it like? I, I found her very supportive. Um, she was... Um, I, I was Secretary of State for Northern Ireland for four years in a pretty rough and dangerous time. And it was we were really facing a, a time when the IRA thought that they could really um, almost win and uh, were throwing a lot into it. Um, and we had a lot of tension in, in different ways. And I, I did find out um, uh, from her, uh, somebody else quoting me uh, a comment that she'd made um, during this period going on, that Tom's got a very tough job and our job is to back him up. Which, you know, and that's what you'd like. I only heard it secondhand from somebody else, but she was very, always very supportive. And, and she uh, uh, did, did a do it... Um, uh, gave me every support in, in uh, uh, at a pretty difficult time. But I remember her, a sort of the, the, the personal interest she took in people. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I was uh, uh, unkind a bit, but Ted Heath, who'd been our leader before, uh, and I was a, a PPS, which is the lowest form of life in the government, you know, for four years in his government. I'm never sure quite at the end of it whether he knew my name. Um, with Margaret, you knew not only she know your name, but she knew something about your family, who they were. And um, I, um, uh, my mother died uh, in um, uh, 1983, um, just after I'd gone into the cabinet. Uh, and uh, I just uh, became Secretary of State for the Environment. And at Margaret, the end of the first cabinet, and she, by the way, did your mother know that you were in the cabinet, that you joined, joined the cabinet. And I said, yes, she did. And she said, I'm very pleased. You know, she knew she'd died. She remembered it. And it was, you, you, I don't think Ted would have <laughs> come up with that one. But I mean, it, it was that sort of personal relationship which, which, um, and human side, which, which people didn't really, you know, they, all the Iron Lady stuff, um, you know, rather sort of swamped that. But actually, sort of personal interest in that way um, and touches um, but very very good Tom King reflecting on the human qualities of the Iron Lady Lord Mackay also found her a supportive boss when he was Lord Chancellor and it fell to him when she came to resign to read a statement of thanks from the cabinet it was a highly charged occasion by that time I had become strangely enough number two in the cabinet and therefore I was sitting beside the Prime Minister and it was my responsibility to speak to her on behalf of the cabinet. And I did that 
in a speech that, uh, with the help of Robin Butler, I had prepared. And uh, I delivered that. Uh, and I think it reflected, it's in the cabinet minutes, of course, I think it reflected the views of everybody there uh, in uh, difficulty in coming to terms with the situation which had befallen us. Anyway, I read the speech, and uh, sitting beside me, she was started to reply. And uh, when she started to reply, she broke down, very unusually for her. And um, Lord Parkinson, he wasn't Lord Parkinson then, he was still Cecil Parkinson, he said, the Lord Chancellor will read it for you. And uh, I said, no, the Lord Chancellor will not read it for you. The Prime Minister will read it herself. And that was enough to bring her back. She put away the hanky and made her own reply speech, which, of course, again is in the cabinet minutes. It was a very moving occasion. Uh, and then, of course, uh, once that had happened, the formal side of the thing had finished, and we stayed on for a bit uh, while um, various discussions took place. John Major wasn't there uh, because he had a, an affected tooth, and so the question arose then as to what was to happen, because in these days it was an election uh, by members of the House of Commons. And so um, there, was a, there was a certain discussion about uh, who might be standing, uh, but uh, <clears throat> no real discussion as to who would be likely to win it. Uh, and uh, it, it was quite interesting that people were quite anxious about what was going to happen. I, I don't think anybody knew for sure, but I think the general expectation was, and of course, I wasn't in the House of Commons enough, or I hadn't the same way of being sure what might happen. But uh, I think the general view was that John Major was likely to uh, take over. Uh, he is obviously Mrs. Thatcher's choice, uh, although she was quite careful about how she expressed herself that day. And. Um, then it was a question of speaking in the afternoon. She had to make a speech in the afternoon. Uh, and uh, she had to think about what, how that would be done. Uh, and uh, th that really was the, the sort of, the, it was a very remarkable atmosphere, a very special occasion in which to be present. And in particular for me, it was a very particular occasion in which to have a rather important part. Um, I remember standing outside um, when the thing was being discussed and um, Kenneth Baker said to me, we'll never have the same again. So I think that's probably true. A non-political figure as well as a political figure. Were you aware of what was going on? Well, I was aware that uh, there were discussions we, neither myself nor the other peer who was in the government were consulted. It was just the cabinet members who were in the Commons. 
which I was <coughs> very glad about because I wouldn't have wanted to contribute to that at all. What would you have told her? I don't think I could have told her. She was really wanting to know what the likelihood was of the Commons throwing her out, and she didn't want to have that as a final decision. Did she speak to you at all in the build-up? No, not really, except uh, I knew quite early on what was like, what was in her mind, and then uh, I knew at the end that she had decided, and uh, I knew that the evening before, uh, so I was prepared for the events of the morning. And um, what happened? Why did the why, why did this rupture happen? I mean, you you saw it in the cabinet. Was it uh, just she'd been there too long, or? She well, seemed to fe she fell out with her colleagues. Were you aware it was going wrong well, around the cabinet table? Well, I, it wasn't in the cabinet. I don't think. I mean, when when she um, let uh, Geoffrey Howe move, and then he resigned, it was obvious there was something pretty drastic. And not to be surprised, it was Europe. And I think that that has been a point in the difficulties of cabinet ministers for some considerable time. Uh, her, um, her attitude to the, was that she was against the idea of federation. That's to say, the United States of Europe. She didn't think that was a place for us. And she was in favor of the single market and the customs union. It's uh, perfectly apparent it was perfectly apparent to me that she was really against the Federation part of it. And that is what ultimately Mr. Cameron got uh, to take us legally out of that. And I thought that would be the trouble that the Eurosceptics were concerned with, but I learned. They're never satisfied. <laughs> well, uh, I've just learned, let me put it that way. Um, do you, I mean, a lot of people saw the, the relationship disintegrate with Geoffrey Howe, and you just mentioned it. Was that something you were very aware of as yeah. it happened? Yes, yes, I was. Do you remember a meeting when she, I think it was his last cabinet meeting, when she really jumped on him about some timetabling? A lot of other colleagues remember it. Oh, I remember it well. I remember it well because I was quite uh, involved. It was in the, the timing of getting bills he, he was responsible as the uh, Lord President for the uh, drafting of legislation and it was taking a bit of time to come through and she indicated that uh, and I realised that uh, it was quite difficult and then of course um, it was really Europe that was the, I mean that was a, just a side matter it was really Europe they disagreed about um, Geoffrey Howe was an enthusiastic Europhile. I think she believed in Europe, and I think, I think she was all in favour of getting our people into operation in the European uh, community. Uh, but she didn't want to find ourselves as part of a big state. Uh, Charles Powell told me he thinks she would have voted rem Remain. What, what do you think? I rather think so. Once the agreement not to become part of the federal movement was made, I think she would have remained. She wouldn't want to be a part of a federation, the United States of Europe, not at all. But I think I 
functioning, a really well-functioning economic unit would be her object, and she would like to be part of that. Did you enjoy working for her? Very much so, very much. It was a terrific thrill for me to be asked. I mean, I was taken out of legal practice, really. I was just an ordinary practicing lawyer in Scotland to find myself the Lord Advocate, and then to find myself as the Lord Chancellor was pretty big occasion. You, did, you didn't find her exasperating ever? No, not at all, not at all. She was never exasperating with me, never. I mean, I've, I've seen her in action with some other people, but uh, I never had any such. She supported me uh, with every muscle. So that must have made the, the final meeting rather difficult for you personally? Yes, yes. I was very sad, very sad. And I, I would have liked her to have gone in different circumstances. And these, um, these events you, you come without uh, you're planning them. <laughs>